Hi everyone. Welcome to Notes of Hope on Mental Health. My name is Linnea Baker and I am a professional mental health therapist and I also am a survivor of major depression, um, anxiety, trauma-induced mania, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, and PTSD. So I have my uh, degree in psychology and in theology. So I do both uh, Christian counseling along, and I also do um, secular counseling for uh, non-Christian uh, people or uh, venues. Boy, I didn't have enough coffee today. So if you don't know my story, I encourage you to uh, listen to episode one called My Story of uh, my podcast here. And um, that'll give you a little bit of background about who I am and uh, what I've been through. Um, the difference I think for me is I became a, a therapist because I wanted to help others get out of depression. I wanted to be that that hope that recovery is possible. Um, and I wanted to give insight to maybe people who have a loved one, a friend who is struggling with depression, and what it's like from the inside. Um, there's a lot of great professional counselors out there. Um, but many of them have never experienced personally uh, major depression, serious anxiety, um, or any kind of trauma. So, um, in fact, I wanted to share this. Um, I took my mom to her very first counseling uh, appointment yesterday. And my mom is on um, Medicare. She also has CHAMP VA because my dad was a veteran and he passed away uh, six years ago and his benefits went to my mom. But the only kind of counseling we could get her that was close by was a mental, um, a mental health professional that took Medicare or Medicaid. So um, I'm trying to, I don't know what is wrong with my brain today. <laughs> It's not coming to me, the words I need. Anyways, I have been blessed to be able to have great insurance um, here in Oregon. And this was an eye-opener for me, people. I've had a lot of people complain about uh, their situations or their experience with social workers or um, counselors, um, doctors in general and a lot of those people are on very low income restricted insurance policies um, and if you're listening and you're from a different country um, I'd be interested in knowing how you feel about how your health insurance or not insurance but how your mental health care is but when I went when I went with my mom she was really nervous and she's been experiencing some severe depression lately and anxiety. Um, and her mom passed away a year ago. 
um, she had a, a trauma bond with my mom, a real, I mean with my grandma, a real love-hate relationship. That's another story. So she was a little nervous, but she needed to go to this appointment because she, she was referred by her doctor. Um, and she needed to get a prescription and in order to get her prescription she had to go to this so we get there and it was so bad the counseling session I did not tell the counselor that I was a licensed therapist because sometimes that kind of puts them in a different perspective or makes them feel I don't know it's like a co-worker watching over your shoulder I guess but um, I was really disappointed. It was so bad. It was almost comical. Uh, there were no forms at all to uh, fill out. She did not know if depression ran in my mom's history. She didn't ask about her severity of her symptoms. She didn't even explain any kind of techniques or coping skills that would help. Um, she was anti-medication and she even told us when we left that talking about trauma would probably make it worse. Huh. So why are you a counselor? <laughs> Anyways, she gave my mom a printout of a WebMD um, off the internet coping skills. There are like three coping skills and grounding skills. And then she kept trying to get my mom to talk about what was triggering her symptoms. And right away, my mom was not impressed. And in a little box on the desk in front of us, there were little uh, tactile sensory items. Um, there were little squishy balls and um, just things to play with, fidget toys. And she said, feel free to uh, pick up one of the fidget toys if you'd like. Then my mom grabbed both of the, the spiky little rubber squishy balls. And she's holding them both hands. And she said, quite frankly, I'm really anxious right now. And the counselor said, well, I hope I'm not making you anxious. And my mom said, well, quite frankly, I've learned more from my daughter than I have you. And I really don't like where this session is going. And my mom can be very uh, straightforward when she's in, like, I could tell a panic attack was coming on. So I saw my mom reach for her purse, and she just zipped it up and said, thank you, and I think we're done here. And we walked out. And the lady was so genuine. She really was. But she had not been through anything. She wasn't, I'm not sure where she got her degree but she was not professional at all. And I ended up explaining to her some terminologies. And we get out to the car and my mom and I just went hysterical laughing until tears were streaming down our cheeks. It was so bad. And I told her, I said, mom, you know what? If anything, the silver lining is, it kind of clarified and verified that I feel better about what I do because my hope is to help you um, whether that's giving you insight it's not just throwing out coping tools and skills and therapies it's knowing 
like what it's like when you're at a certain part on this this path because I've walked it and I know what it's like and it's like talking to someone I suppose like someone who has cancer I don't know what they're going through I can definitely have sympathy but I have no idea what it what it feels like to go through their treatments and it's the same way with mental health struggles um, so that is why I am here um, it's to help people and give them some kind of hope um, because for those of you who may not have known me um, years ago I was a different person I mean I struggled so bad with depression um, but you wouldn't have known it really because my personality was very very uh, introverted and I was very quiet and I isolated a lot um, so people who know me today have a hard time believing that because I'm I'm pretty proactive I'm very I like to talk a lot and um, I am a motivational speaker and educator on mental health but I'm also uh, clinically depressed so but obviously um, I'm in a great place and I have been for the last 15 years because of medication talk therapy support groups and lots of coping skills so um, when I tell people I have major depression, also known as clinical depression and social anxiety um, and PTSD and trauma, they're like, well, you don't look like you do. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like I need a cast for my head. So um, people will understand that I'm not always feeling well. Um, I like to say that things trigger me, of course, like anybody else. But I have been stable and healthy, and I knew that once I got to this point, I wanted to help others. So today's podcast, I wanted to do a little overview about depression. And many people don't realize this, but there are seven types of depression. And... Um, I wanted to cover those just briefly. There's so much information on each one and I didn't want to overwhelm people with technical lingo or anything like that. But I want I want to share them so that you will um, be aware of them. And maybe it's something that, oh, maybe that's what I'm struggling with. Because that's how I was able to get a correct diagnosis. Um, it's all about being proactive with your own mental health and really being self-aware. So um, I wanted to also share that I know a lot of you are in a space where maybe um, dysfunction, your dysfunctional environment is your normal. And so you have learned coping skills that are more survival skills and those survival skills have been your normal that's what I grew up with so um, and it wasn't necessarily anybody's fault 
not going to blame my parents. Um, part, part of my story was genetics and situational. Um, but I want to say this to you. The weapons that you once used to simply survive in life, they have to be put down so that you can fully heal and live fully. So recovery involves going out of your comfort zone. It means there are parts where you have to rewire your brain. And there are ways we can do that. Um, I had to do that. I had to reprogram my thought life. And the power of thoughts, I know that when, when I'm really, really depressed or when I was so, um, I was stuck in this dark place, I physically, mentally, emotionally could not move. When people told me, oh, let's go out for a walk, let's get some fresh air, or you need to think positive, you can just think about your happy place. I wanted to punch them in the throat. <laughs> and that sounds mean, but it's how it was. It's like asking someone with a broken leg to go take a jog with you around the track. It will make me feel better. So that was my reality. And I'm telling you right now that um, I understand that part. When you get to a place where you can start reprogramming your brain and your thoughts, um, it will change your life. Because research proves, and it has shown more and more, and I am living proof of this. I know that this is a total reality in my life. It's my truth. That... Our thoughts can change not only our brain chemistry to produce more serotonin, uh, more melatonin, um, lower the stress cortisol hormone, um, but our brain chemistry also emits chemicals into our blood chemistry. So we can not only just change our brain chemistry through thoughts, but we can change our blood chemistry, which goes out into our entire body. And we can help heal ourselves. So, um, it is true. And it happens a lot of times on a subconscious level. But there are ways to get to that place. And I will share more about that in another podcast. But today, I just wanted to cover all of that. Um, so I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, before I go on, I want to share a little story out of left field. <laughs> so a lot of you know that I grew up in the country. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I lived on a farm and we had lots of animals. Um, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I'm the oldest of uh, three. I have two younger brothers. Um, we had chickens, cows, uh, pigs. Um, we even had a pet spider monkey at one time for a year. Um, but one thing we had uh, that I loved were the sheep. And we had little lambs. And I just loved sheep. Um, they're so cute and cuddly and, and 
the funny thing is, is if you know me personally, you'll see that I post lots of pictures of my little toy poodle ranger. And he looks like a little lamb. And a lot of people say that when he romps around, he runs, he kind of prances. His little ears flop around. <laughs> but anyways, um, when I was, I believe, first, second grade, um, in the middle of the night, we had a problem on our farm because we lived in the country and that problem was coyotes. They would stalk the sheep terribly. And so um, one night a pack of coyotes came and killed one of the mama sheep who had just recently given birth to two baby lambs. They were twins. and. Um, that was so heartbreaking. I'll never forget. My parents were even cried. They were so sad about it. So what we, what my parents did was they ended up bringing those little lambs into our farm, our little farmhouse, our little yellow farmhouse. They built a little pen for them in the kitchen in the corner. And those two baby lambs uh, were raised in our kitchen. We named them Baba and Mimi because of the sounds that they made. One, one of them went Ba, the other went Mimi. And um, every morning before I'd go to school, I would feed them with a bottle. And I remember it was just so, that was my normal though, you know? That was a great memory. Um, during that time, my one of my brothers had just been born and he was learning to talk and he ended up calling my mom Ba because that's the noise he heard all the time because those little lambs were not quiet. So he always called my mom Ba, not Ma or Mom, but Ba, probably until he was about four years old. And the reason I'm sharing this is it's because he was a product of his environment, my brother, by learning that sound and uh, associating it with our mom. And it's cute, but at the same time, it has a deeper meaning of we, can, we end up being products of our environment. And if we're not self-aware of the environments we're brought up in, they can become, uh, they, they block our, our purpose in life because they're toxic. If you're, you grow up in an abusive home or a trauma place or just dysfunctional. It, and I want to say right now that trauma is anything that wounds your heart, mind, body, and soul. Nobody gets to tell you that they didn't hurt you. And for me, when I first heard that, I can't tell you how much validation that brought. Because sometimes in abusive homes or dysfunctional homes, if you cry or something hurts you emotionally, you're told you're too sensitive or to just stop crying about it or snap out of it. I want you to know that that is not healthy. So if you 
are in an environment that is dysfunctional possibly, just know that you can change the programming of your brain. You can live a fulfilling, happy life. And again, that does mean going out of your comfort zone sometimes, but it is so worth it. Um, also, the coyotes in my life that attacked me and nearly took my life, again, they were major depression, social anxiety, generalized anxiety, panic disorder, uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, I mean stress, trauma-induced mania, the list goes on. Um, so those were my coyotes in my life, but they did not defeat me. And they do not have to defeat you either. So, if you are struggling, just know that you are not alone. I want you to know that. Um, and again, if you don't know my story, go back to the first episode, and that will make a little more sense. So, and as you can tell, I am very passionate about uh, mental health, but I'm also passionate about my spiritual walk, too, and... Um, some people ask, it's my podcast or my blogs for Christians. Yes. Is it for non-Christians? Yes. Is it for people of different faiths? Yes. Because I'm a God, I'm, I'm a God, I'm a girl who loves God and there are no boundaries. He told us to love others and to love him those two things. And yes, I have my degree in theology and I have different points of views with many people. I don't believe in one denomination. Nobody's got the corner market on what is absolute truth. I believe God is the final say. He is the final truth. And he speaks to all of us in different ways because we're made differently. And so, um, my heart is for doing people inside the church, but also outside, because a lot of my friends are not churchgoers, and research proves that 70% of people who don't go to church or leave the church, um, have a spiritual walk with God, and I believe that so much, because... Uh, some of my closest friends don't go to church and it can be because they never felt like they were accepted It could be because they're gay and weren't accepted a lot of times. It's because They're debilitated by a mental health struggle or anxiety um, Or depression they can't get up in the mornings. I even struggle with that um, My son one of my my youngest son can't go uh, because it's just to, uh, people are just kind of in his face a little too much and he has anxiety really bad and the music is super loud. And so I get it. I totally understand it. And it's not about church, you know, but I will say my faith is what has kept me on this earth. It has gotten me through so much from suicidal depression when I was hospitalized after my second son was born 
um, to today. So um, there's power, and, and there's power in your spiritual walk with God, and I do share a lot of that. So that's just who I am. It's not like I'm trying to change you if I share something. Um, I'm just sharing a part of my heart, and I hope you can feel that. Okay, so I want to get back <laughs> to the, the seven types of depression. Um, okay, so they say one out of four people, you probably have heard this, struggle with mental health. That can be anything from anxiety to uh, schizophrenia to depression to bipolar disorder. So I want you to think of your three closest friends. If they seem okay, then it's you we need to talk about and worry about. I'm just joking. I'm just saying that you really aren't alone, but because people don't talk about mental health struggles with each other as much, uh, we feel alone, and it's an isolating disease. Um, so the seven types are major depression, which is also called clinical depression, and um, the second one, I'll come back to these. The second one is called persistent depression. And that was also, uh, it used to be called dysthymic depression, um, but it was changed uh, in the newest DSM manual. So major depression, persistent depression, bipolar disorder depression, postpartum depression, premenstrual cycle depression, seasonal affective disorder depression, and atypical depression. And um, out of the seven, I like to divide them into two main categories. And one of the categories is uh, for depressions, it's either chemical and genetic, or it's situational and circumstantial. And many times it can be both. Um, many depressions have symptoms that overlap. And so I think labels are a little bit misleading because uh, so many symptoms overlap each other, but it does help therapists and physicians to have um, a label because they need to be able to treat it and they need to have a treatment plan. And so that brings me back to why it's so important to um, call it a disorder or a disease. And that is because um, it is treatable, it is an illness, and it is not a character flaw, a spiritual deficit, um, or anything like that. Um, it is a physical illness that manifests itself emotionally, physically, mentally, um, and all of these together, um, they, they need to be treated. And so that's why it is called a, a disease or disorder because it is treatable. So um, I wanted to say that a major depression is severe depression that lasts over two weeks. Um, and 
that can be definitely genetic, but it also can be induced by situations, circumstances, um, anything like grief, losing a, lo a loved one, a divorce, separation, um, stress at work, um, moving, anything like that can cause induced uh, major depression, also known as clinical depression. So with major depression, there's nine symptoms and there just needs to be five of them present that last two weeks or longer. And so those symptoms are a change in mood. Uh, a person is either depressed most of the time, day after day, or they say that they are. Uh, they could have, um, they could be crying a lot, they could be irritable. Um, they could talk about feeling really sad or empty or even numb. So changes in mood is one. Uh, they lose interest in things that they normally like to do. Maybe they like to paint or even play video games or sports or any kind of hobbies. They just stop doing. They feel no interest in that. Um, eating patterns. Either uh, weight gain or weight loss is very common. Changes in sleeping patterns. A lot of times people can have insomnia where they uh, can't sleep because there's also anxiety pre present. And I would like to say this right here. With every single depression, I can honestly say that anxiety is its best friend. Anxiety shows up somewhere. And even with most anxiety disorders, depression is present. So whether it's the depression that is the main symptom or anxiety that is the main symptom, the other is always going to be present usually. Um, changes in activity level and movement. There, um, I always feel like I'm going in slow motion. Um, I feel like I can hardly do anything. Um, I physically feel weighed down, like I'm wearing a backpack full of bricks. Um, walking, talking, coordination, um, or sometimes it kind of brings out more anxiety and they talk a little bit more or they're restless. Um, lack of energy. A lot of sleep. Um, if someone is sleeping a lot, um, that's usually a sign that their body is needing more serotonin. It can be a way of escape. Um, I know that sleep is used as a way of to escape the day in depression, but it also helps uh, serotonin levels. It helps create more serotonin in your brain when you sleep. So the body knows this and it kind of goes into survival mode. So if you have a loved one or if you're sleeping a lot and just can't help it, it's okay. You need to have self-compassion and allow yourself or your loved one to sleep. Um, your change in your self-esteem or your perception of yourself um, a lot of times depression causes distorted thoughts. Um, feelings are real, but they are not facts. 
that is an important self-awareness that you need to remember because it will distort your thoughts it will make you feel guilt shame worthlessness uh, like you don't matter like nobody would care that you're here or not um, and it's more personal it's hard to look at yourself outside of the depression it's like it consumes you and you become a part of that depression and uh, that last symptom is like a lack of future the thoughts are hopeless you may have thoughts of suicide or with a plan or without a plan or maybe you've attempted suicide um, so those are the nine categories of symptoms for major depression. Changes in mood, lack of interest, changes in eating patterns, um, changes in sleeping patterns, changes in uh, activity level and movement, lack of energy, changes in perception of self, changes in focus, and lack of future. Um, hopeless feelings so um, some people ask me the difference between grief and depression um, grief definitely brings depression um, if and and people deal with grief differently because we're all made differently and our perception on life is different um, when my dad passed away six years ago from Agent Orange Cancer, and um, I had to be become the one that was taking care of my mom, helping with funeral arrangements, um, helping my brothers. So my body went into shock. I didn't allow myself to grieve until over a year later. And then it was like a tsunami of emotions that just flooded me. So I went through a real, probably grief for like two years. Um, but the thing with grief is it, you can move forward with grief. It changes, but the depression lifts. If it doesn't, that is called complicated grief. And that can turn into major depression where it doesn't go away. Um, so if that happens, it's really important to see a mental health professional and uh, a counselor for that. So I wanted to put that out there. Um, so on major depression, that's what I have. It lasts over two weeks or longer. Um, and I wanted to share this, I, you know, the worst depression I had was after my second son was born in 2002 and I started having postpartum depression, baby blues, lack of sleep, guilt because I wasn't able to stay up 24 hours and take care of my three-year-old and the, the newborn and so um, there was a shift that took place one day. I remember I was watching my husband change 
uh, my son's diapers. And all of a sudden, I, it was like I could feel physically the chemicals in my body just crashing down. All of a sudden, I just started bawling. And I physically couldn't stand up. I just collapsed on the bed. That was the first time I totally could not function. And I started having suicidal thoughts. And I was, my thoughts were so distorted. Um, my doctor had me um, meet her at the hospital. And with my consent, uh, she helped check me into a psychiatric hospital. And I stayed there for a month. That was my rock bottom, but it was also the best day of my life because that was when my recovery truly started happening. That's when I learned the power of validation, how to take care of myself, um, my self-worth. Um, and the, the power of support groups. Um, and that was also where I found out about NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. That's my little plug for them. I saw their flyer on the wall and they were a lifeline for me. And as soon as I got out of the hospital, I started attending their support groups. Oh my goodness, it was like I found my own species. I thought I was the only one. And when I started going to these groups, it felt so good to know that I wasn't the only one struggling. And I was so inspired by the courageous stories people shared. And that was also through their organization, I ended up learning how to do public speaking. And then I became a teacher and then I became a state trainer for them and an educator. And that was my, uh, it propelled me from being in the hospital to seeing their flyer. So I truly believe that God can take our pain and turn it into purpose. And I'm passionate about my purpose because I know what it's like to struggle. So when I did get out of the hospital and I was still struggling, but I had hope now, I wrote this poem called Only You Know. And I wrote it on August 14th and um, uh, what was the year 2003 and so um, this is a, a short poem I wrote kind of expresses my depression and me talking to God because that's what I do when I'm in depression I talk to God because he meets me right where I'm at and that's where I feel the closest to him in that pain so um, it's called Only You Know. As I lie here, I surrender myself to you, O oh God. Only you know my darkest agonies. Only you know the paranoia that consumes my mind. Only you know the grief, the fear that grips my heart. Only you know the depression that paralyzes my being. Only you know the monstrous rage that lives within myself. Only you know my reckless abandonment and mania destruction. Like an enemy, I seek to destroy and devour those I love. Like a chameleon, I mask the evilness of my mental illness. Like a soldier, I triumph over darkness and become an advocate for others and myself, 
speaking out, not hiding out. Only you know, God, my past traumas. Only you know my present anxieties. Only you know my gut-wrenching fears. Only you know my self-hatred. Only you know my self-loathing moments. Only you know my overwhelming guilt that tortures my soul day and night. Only you know that I am merely dust. So what right do I have to say to my creator, why have you made me this way? I surrender myself to your mercy and grace, O God. Breathe into this lifeless life and mind and renew my entire being. Take me and use me before I take myself. Only you know. You know my innermost parts. Only you know. Only you know. Um, I shared that poem at a church one time. And I think a lot of Christians confuse spiritual warfare with mental health struggles. And I talk a lot about my self-worth in that poem. And many Christians like to say, quote, very well-intended platitudes and verses saying that I am made in him and my worth is in him. Yes, I know that. But this is the depression that physical illness talking to me. It's a distorted thought. And spiritual warfare, I believe that can be in anything because we live in a broken world and things get hurled at us from all sides sometimes. So I am a, a true believer in, in spiritual warfare and angels fighting on my behalf. And in fact, I have stories of, I have personal experience with spiritual warfare and personal experience of knowing um, depression, psychosis, and uh, mental health struggles. And the difference, the main difference is this, a spiritual warfare, when someone is having any kind of psychosis, this is a total sidebar from depression, but if they're having delusions, seeing things, hearing things, they will not be the only one in the room seeing and hearing things. Spiritual warfare affects everybody in the room, not just one person. And I have witnessed that, especially growing up as a pastor's kid. But later in life, boy, I know that that spiritual realm is real. Um, psychosis only affects the person with the mental health struggle. And I know that if you're Catholic and you're listening to this, uh, many Catholics believe that mental illness is a, a demonic feature. And um, so there's that theology piece, which I'm going to just let it lie for now. But I wanted to share that if you have people telling you you have a spiritual problem or a spiritual deficit, because you have depression, anxiety, uh, any kind of psychosis, I want to tell you now, you do not. Okay, I'm telling you personally and professionally. So I just wanted to share that. Okay, boy, I'm going off on sidebars here. Um, so that was my poem about depression from feeling really raw about it. 
Um, the next thing is persistent depression. It used to be called dysthymic depression, but persistent depression to me kind of makes it a little more explainable. It persists for at least two years or longer. It can also be known as someone with melancholy. Like if you know people with melancholy personalities, we're kind of just sad by nature. Uh, general, it's a part of who they are kind of. They're really low key. Um, it's not a, it, again, this is not a character flaw. Persistent depression can last two years or longer, and um, it's just a constant low. It's not severe to where you can't function. It's not major depression, but it's not feeling great about life. You're always kind of in this low. And they can also experience major depression at the same time as such as an event may trigger it, a divorce, a loss, uh, any kind of outside uh, trigger. And when that happens, it is then called double depression. Sounds lovely, huh? Sounds very heavy, and it is. And even though it's not so severe, it is on a different level, though. So, um, again, you want to look for, for those symptoms that actually fall under major depression, but they may not be so extreme, but they still pertain to all these depressions. Bipolar depression, it's with severe lows and severe highs of mania and hypomania um, with normal moods, stability in between. Um, usually after mania, there's a crash into suicidal, almost suicidal depression, if not suicidal depression. But there are a lot of doctors, or not necessarily doctors, but people who believe that if you have mania, you automatically have bipolar disorder. That's not true. In fact, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar at first for years, and in fact, I had trauma-induced mania. And mania is, it's like being in a car on a freeway going 100 miles per hour and the brakes are out and you're weaving in and out of traffic and you know that eventually you're going to crash, you're going to get hurt and probably somebody else is going to get hurt. And people are angry at you. They're giving you hand gestures and everything and you can't stop it. And you, it's like, where do I get off? It, it can drive a person into uh, suicidal tendencies as well um, or to self-harm sometimes. But the opposite of that is the depression part is like being a car, in a car on the freeway, but you're going 10 miles per hour. You can't keep up with the traffic. And so people are honking at you and yelling at you. You're causing accidents almost. And so it's the extreme opposite. And then you can be going along after that um, at normal speed, keeping along with the flow of life, flow of traffic. Um, so the only reason that we were able to get a correct diagnosis from me um, 
was because I journal everything. I've journaled all my life and I kept track of everything I did from people I interacted with, uh, movies I watched, TV shows that I watched, um, things that I read, uh, even commercials I saw that triggered me. So, um, and due to that, we were able to see that my mania was due to PTSD. I was having flashbacks during seasons of things that traumatically happened to me. And also, I was able to go down and off of many medications without any repercussions. People with bipolar disorder need to stay on medications to keep a stability. Because, again, it's a physical, uh, a brain chemistry and blood chemistry illness. And so medication for me and many others um, is a lifeline. I can honestly tell you if I did not have medication when I was severely depressed at first and first diagnosed, I would not be here today. So it's just like treating any other illness like diabetes, heart problems, cancer, get the treatment you need. And then after that, I was able to process talk therapy. I would not have been able to go to counseling without the medication. The two go hand in hand. So um, I just wanted to say that. And then um, after bipolar depression, there's um, like PMS dysphoric depression for women. Um, there's PMS which can be bad. People, women become irritable, depressed, sad, um, moody. But with uh, PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, depression, this actually only happens in three to eight percent of women, and you become uh, you can start having suicidal thoughts. It interferes with your life. You can't go to work, you can't go to school, you've crashed into a debilitating depression. So um, it's very treatable though, and but it is due to hormones and chemical imbalances. Um, and then on the other spectrum is postpartum depression, which I had after giving birth. Um, again, it's treatable. Um, and that's due to hormonal uh, chemicals and just your body going through so much. And um, if you feel suicidal with either one of these women, please reach out for help because there is treatment. Um, seasonal affective disorder is a lack of vitamin D, a lack of light, which produces vitamin D. I should have started with that. And also a lack of serotonin in uh, your brain and melatonin which helps you sleep the natural melatonin that your brain produces so it happens when uh, if you li live in places where it's dark a lot of the time um, many people have it in the Pacific Northwest um, Washington and Oregon because it gets pretty dark here in the fall and winter so um, what it's very treatable. Light boxes help a lot with that. 
Uh, talk to your doctor about which light box would be good for you um, because some people are more sensitive than others. Uh, for me, I put natural light bulbs in um, our lamps and that has helped me. And for some, they need to go on antidepressants for a short amount of time or a, a prescription for vitamin D, um, which is uh, regulated and more potent than the ones you buy off the counter. And then the last one is called atypical depression. And um, this is a mood re uh, reactivity depression, which means it improves with an outside situation. The depression can improve. Um, it doesn't necessarily fall into any category of the other depressions, but it is usually common with people who have grown up in abuse or uh, trauma, dysfunctional homes. They become overly sensitive. And when I say overly sensitive, I don't mean it's a character flaw. I mean they're very sensitive to uh, relationships. Um, they're intensely... Um, they react intensely because they feel it more intensely uh, when they come against rejection. Um, it can be in the workplace. It can be with relationships. Um, and also symptoms physically. It can be a, a paralyzed feeling physically and a weighed down feeling physically. And many times... Um, there's either weight gain or weight loss, and there's a lot of excessive sleeping. And the reason that this is usually due to people who grow up in dysfunctional homes is they probably had to walk on eggshells a lot if they grew up with like alcoholic parents or, or around drug use or along, along the lines of any kind of abuse like verbal or emotional, a lot of yelling, a lot of put downs. Um, or physical, especially. So these people learn to read human behavior on a highly intensive scale. And it's no wonder they do, because that's how they grew up. And so their cortisol levels, their stress levels are skyrocketed. So um, that is atypical depression. The good news about it is, though, that they do react to positive stimulants like going out with friends to a movie so a loved one can really help uh, a person with atypical depression with outside acts of kindness um so um let's see if i missed anything here that is pretty much it Yes, I have notes here, which I totally did not stick to, but that's okay. Um, again, I just wanted to let you know that you are worth all the recovery that it takes for you. And you matter. And you are worth having a healthy, fully living in the moment type of life, no matter what you've been through. Um, I know sometimes it can feel like trying to uncover yourself and dig yourself out from under the, all the rubble of depression, 
Maybe it's shame or guilt or dysfunction or a diagnosis of depression. But I want you to know that you are not alone. And I hope that my podcast here will give you some hope, some friendship. And I just want to thank you so much for letting me into your life for uh, this amount of time. I know your time is valuable. And I appreciate each and every one of you. So feel free to follow me on Instagram, uh, Linnea Baker, or Linnea Hanel Baker, or my Facebook page, Notes of Hope, or on Twitter, Linnea Baker. Um, Also, um, if you have any messages or uh, suggestions or topics you would like me to talk about, please feel free to send me a message. Um, I think on the Anchor podcast here, there's a a button that you can click on messages and send a message to me. And I'll definitely listen to those. So again, thank you so much for um, being here. And I will see you next time on Notes of Hope on Mental Health. Thank you.